Welcome to Mixed Company, bringing the siloed and uncomfortable conversation we have with our friends to the forefront so everyone can participate in the conversation. We say all the things you never would in Mixed Company. Welcome to Mixed Company. Hi, everybody. Hey. Welcome to Mixed hey, Company. Hey, Karina. Hey. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hi, everybody. It's been a week. Welcome to Mixed Company. Um, I'm so excited for today's show because it's advertising related, but it's not really advertising related. Um, I like to introduce, we have a therapist on the show because we've been through a lot of things, Miss Farah Harris. Hi, Farah. Hey, how are you? Good. Hey, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> And you could just do a short introduction about yourself so that people can get used to your voice. Sure, no problem. Um, so I am a licensed therapist in the south suburbs of Chicago. I have a private practice out here. And prior to being a therapist, not many people know this, but I actually uh, come from a corporate background where I was the marketing coordinator and um, transitioned into mental health, and that's a whole different story. But I just love working with individuals, helping people get comfortable in their own skin, but also helping organizations get it right when it comes to taking care of people's mental health and wellness. This is awesome because today we're going to be talking about workplace wellness, which is like on point with not only things that have been going on in industry, but in our own personal lives. So I can't Mm -hmm. wait to get into the topic. I'm excited. That's my jam. <laughs> so we let's get the let's get our first our things out of the way. But um, anybody have any listener comments about last week's show? I've heard a lot of things in passing, but no one's really wrote to me like specifically about our episode with Bold Culture. How about y'all? Uh, I've been under a rock getting applications out the door. <laughs> um, but I, I didn't, but I feel like there, um, there's been a lot more chit-chatter around Kai. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> where, where is Kai? I'm, no, Kai, I'm here. I'm checking. I didn't realize that we were doing listener feedback, so I was quickly trying to check the Instagram handle. Um, I don't know if we necessarily got any comments on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, et cetera, about the show, but... My comment in general um, is that, that I think that interview was great. It was such a blast working with Deanna and as well as working with um, Darren to just kind of talk about what our, uh, essentially what they do for the industry, which isn't necessarily what we talk about. Theirs is more B2B. Generally mm-hmm. on the show, we talk about our experiences, um, just being the resources, if you will, and what that experience is like um, trying to make change and evoke um, uh, a more well-balanced diversity and inclusive conversation with um, agencies. So shout-out to them for being a part of the show. Also, shout-out to them because um, we will probably be making an announcement in a couple weeks. Um, They're definitely going to be a little bit closer to us in 2019. So um, just kind of keep a lookout for a special announcement we have uh, 
with our friends Bold Culture, and I believe by the time everyone hears this episode, um, they should be they should have released uh, La Mosaica, um, which is their Latinx white paper. So we're definitely excited for that. A lot of exciting things for 2019. It's gonna be dope. But people, awesome. you know what? People had like in passing. People like stopped me to talk about some things, and I'm like, oh, put it in a comment or something. But a lot of people that I talked with, they really were talking about inclusion. That was like, oh, about those numbers and blah blah blah. And I'm like, I don't really, I haven't seen them. They're like, they need to push them out. And I'm like, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But maybe we could do something about inclusion, like more in depth because it seems like people were so interested about that part, especially with bold culture. So I don't know, maybe that's what oh, and they can definitely visit their website to get more information from them. But either yes. way I think that was good. Um as far as dope shit, I will let you guys go first. I actually don't want to do <laughs> and I mean you guys know why and I think as people are listening they'll know why. So I will absolutely let you guys go first. <laughs> Do not throw me under the bus, Sam. I'll let Karina go first. Ah, oh, man. Um, okay. What has happened? Ugh, I had it up. Anyway. Dope shit. You know what? Dope shit is... It really has been a week of ain't shit, honestly. But I will give my dope shit to Governor um, Candidate Andrew Gilliam. Um, trying to make Florida do something right for once. So I'm excited about that. That's one <laughs> way to one, put it. <laughs> I want one good win for Florida, just one. But his, um, his I don't know if it's, I, I'm going to lose the word, but his opponent, Rob DeSantis, recently they just uh, found that out that he is a moderator for a racist Facebook page. So that's going to be interesting. I mean, this isn't news, right? Water is wow. wet. The sky is still blue. The clouds. Like, I think, I think, I think Andrew Gilliam, and I'll tell you what, what my family was saying this weekend about his amazingly looking self. Um, I think he, I think he's actually done a really great job of pointing out, um, speaking about race in, yes, a witty way, but also like you may not necessarily speak about yourself as being a racist, as most people won't, but also calling out that it may not necessarily be what, how you refer to yourself, but it's definitely how you're perceived by your base. Um, and that in itself, I think, has been it's super impactful with um, for drawing or giving people perspective about um, shit, just racism. Like, yeah, and, and I know, right? Is. And, like, it doesn't help that he's gorgeous. Like, my cousins are wretched. Like, you guys think I'm bad, but my cousins are wretched. So over the weekend, they were saying that their campaign was that Gilliam could get it. And I was oh, like, well, Lord. I mean, I think he's married, but so, like, yeah. I'm not trying to get that <laughs> karma, but, like, on some for real, for real stuff, like, I totally get where everyone is coming from. So you're great looking. You clearly have a great heart. You have a good head on your shoulder. And obviously all of those things should totally make you a great politician, right? I mean, he's been preparing this. I mean, at FAM, he was part of, um, I think he was part of SGA. So he's always been in politics. Um, 
from college till now and and even being the mayor of Tallahassee like Tallahassee is not an easy place to be a mayor of and actually have support not only from citizens and the police there is really really speaks volumes I will say I'm sorry to hurt your cousin's bubble but yes he is married and he I think he has like two kids so <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. think that's happening for them. <laughs> And another shout out to Stacey Abrams, um, mm-hmm. who is also another governor candidate for Georgia. So, yep. hopefully, out here doing her thing and outside of just running for governor, the work that she's done on behalf of the working class and, of course, people of color in Atlanta has been um, revered for quite a, for a couple of years. So. I mean, just I, can can I get like I mean I guess we did have but not really but if I could get like a, a an amazing black woman governor um, in New York City before I leave my time here that'd be amazing. That would be dope. All right, that's my dope shit. Ain't yeah, ain't shit. <laughs> well, it was a little tiny bit of ain't shit. Like, it was mostly dope shit. We don't acknowledge the haters anymore. <laughs> oh, am I the hater? <laughs> no. Oh my god. No, Sam. Go ahead. Um my my uh dub shit is really simple. Um I posted this on our um Instagram handle. If you're not following, you should be following at xmixcompany.com. Um and basically it's the clip of Chelsea Handler um talking with Ellen, uh, where she's basically being very explicit about how white women need to be allies to women of color and how they can do it. Um, I just thought it was dope because to use a platform like that, and we know that Ellen has a lot of followers that are white women, to use a platform like that um, to be very explicit about how to be an ally, I thought was pretty dope, which is why we posted it. Um, and so if you're interested in what she said, you can definitely go on our mixed company uh, Instagram handle and listen to it because I felt like it was a really good point that she made. Right. I mean, she drew a lot of, she drew a lot of parallels to different, to different movements. And just the main thing that she said in the clip was that black women vote in their own interests, um, mm-hmm. which I thought was I mean, it wasn't new for, for anybody that may have studied Feminism and womanism, like, I don't think that's necessarily new information, but I think it is impactful to discuss that in terms of um, the current political climate and our culture in general and how if you look at, I guess that was the, was it the Alabama race? the when, Whatever the last race was that black women were responsible mm-hmm. for the win of the more of the Democratic candidates. Yep, it was in self-interest, and as everyone always likes to say, "Oh, black women saved us," and it's like, "No, we didn't <laughs> save you. You benefited from us saving ourselves." And I felt like that was a really important thing for her to say to her people. I don't mm-hmm. think that comment was for us. I don't think we necessarily need to sit sit by and like. Yes, we can applaud her for making that comment, but we still have work to do for ourselves and. By all means, if she wants to jump on board and help us kind of make the country right, period, instead of making it great again, I, I, I think that's a 
that's really good for her. She's come a long way. I mean, Chelsea Handler has yeah. not necessarily always <laughs> been the best role model or best ally for anybody, quite frankly. And I think that um, this this Trump era, if you will, has matured her as much as it has matured a lot of other um, newly found allies, I guess I would call them. So good, good for her. I definitely agree. Yeah, because like, even from her show, Chelsea, she was – pushing a more political voice and trying really hard to be more of an ally. So, I mean, if this is an example of effort, I don't think it's a bad example in my opinion. I don't know. Yeah. I th- cool. I think, we'll see. I think we'll see how me, things work out. Yeah. Everybody's yeah, I, up for audition. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's worth the cookout invite. Um, but for me, looking at it, I feel like, you know, the idea of, people who are part of marginalized groups fixing the problems of their oppressors is a problem. So to hear her saying that that is their problem, that they need to fix, that's what I was, like, holding on to. Um, mm-hmm. Because that's, that's what I believe. I feel like if, if you're a part of the problematic group, like, you should be a part of the solution and don't expect the people who you're oppressing to fix your own shit. Mm-hmm. Real. Okay. Um, so I guess it's my turn. So I'll go ahead and jump in. <laughs> I've, been, I've been waiting all day for this. <laughs> I guess. Um, so <laughs> I don't. I don't necessarily think it's uh, dope shit. I definitely don't necessarily think it's ain't shit either. But um, I formally announced that I quit my job <laughs> um, on LinkedIn and my blog post on uh, this past Friday um, through a blog post that I titled um, Why I Quit My Job. Um, And for those of you that have listened to the show long enough, you know that I take my work very seriously. I take my career very seriously. And um, growing into or maturing into adulthood, I have taken it upon myself to take my mental health and my uh, personal space even more seriously than the former uh, two points. Um, so I also think that it's quite ironic that we are having um, our, conver- our conversation today with our guest. Um, I will go ahead and just let everybody know it was a personal decision for me to step away from an environment um, and environments. I want to also be clear that it wasn't just the last place that I uh, was employed that was the problem. My overall experience in uh, advertising as a whole um, has had very traumatic moments, many of which that we've discussed um, in jest on this show. Uh, However, what I started to realize is it started to feel like there was nothing I could do to make things better. Uh, there in throughout my career, you know, we're we're told or we're trained, if you will, that in order to be a good employee, that we have to be proactive and we have to um, mind our personalities and our attitudes, and we have to make sure that we're taking the right steps. However, um, I think all of that is great when it comes to quote-unquote playing the game, but what I've experienced is that the game rules change 
depending on whoever is in charge or empowered within your organization, uh, depending on how they feel for the day. Um, and I go into the article and I talk about the last eight weeks or so, um, literally just feeling like I was falling into a sunken place. Um, obviously, I say that for comedic humor, but the reality is knowing how or being as confident as I am in in my work, um, producing the results that I generally produce on my work and making sure that things are, I'm a producer. So I'm next steps, I'm on time, I'm on budget, whatever uh, whatever success metrics that you give to me, if I'm making them, I'm good. And when that outlined uh, perspective of success or requirements of success, rather, are met and yet still um, it's not enough, um, it will drive you crazy. And it was it was driving me to a place where I recognized that I was consistently sad, um, like breaking into tears. Uh, and for those of you, there's are, there are a few, uh, both on this podcast and that have listened to the show, um, that saw me break into very random moments of tears, um, only to realize that it wasn't anything going on in my life, like. I say to y'all all the time, I don't got no kids. I don't got to cook for nobody when I come home. I don't got no man. It's just me, my TV, and my bed. Um, and all of those things are, are I'm fine with and I'm happy with, but it's going into um, it's going into places of work that I'm spending uh, up to 14 hours a day in. Um, I just couldn't take it anymore. So I am. I chose myself. I decided to step away. I did not write that post in um, or to be or to call out any specific agency or to call out any specific coworker. It was literally me expressing my experience in the most honest and transparent way that I felt that I could so that I could make peace with my decision. Um, so I thank everybody that has commented on the post that has reached out to offer um, help or to ask how they can help, um, that has shared the post. Um, <laughs> some of y'all on Twitter are really funny and have shared the post directly with who you may have thought I may have been talking about. Um, but the reality is I'm just in a place right now that we talk about a lot on this show where at some point enough does have to be enough, and this was my moment. So I'm taking a pretirement, a.k.a. Fun a period of fun employment, <laughs> to enjoy the rest of my year um, and to kind of get my, get my flag back a little bit. Like I, I pride myself yeah. on being confident, and um, I just wasn't in a place to, to, to be confident um, in my last place of, of employment. So... Yeah, your girl is not working right now, so don't invite me to happy hour unless you buy my drinks. Um, but I'm definitely <laughs> available for phone calls. That I can definitely afford a phone call. And yeah, not for long. that's my that's my dope shit, ain't shit. Amen. Well, I applaud you, friend, because yeah, I know when when that popped up on my screen on my screen, <laughs> I uh, definitely chuckled more than <laughs> more than a little bit. Not not because of what you went through because I know what you, what you were going through. I know how that feels. But it, I knew what would come of it because 
no one, and it's part of the reason why we started this show, is no one talks about what happens in, on a day-to-day basis in this industry, why people leave. And I feel like you articulating those, those moments that some people may just sweep under the rug because I'm pretty sure the people on the other end of those conversations probably forgot about them because they were just like, all right, cool, whatever, we don't, we don't really care. But for you to bring them back up and to see so many people identify with those situations, people who are not white, people who are not women, I mean, who are not black and people who are not women identify with those situations and realize that they're, they're shitty and they're wrong and these are the re- this is the reason why a lot of people walk away from this industry, I felt like it was perfect. It was on time. Like, it was worth it. And, yeah, like, I feel like this is, this is going to be a nice pivot for you. Yeah. I, it will, I, and it'll be a nice break, so. Yeah. I mean, one quote comes to mind. It's, when a flower doesn't bloom, you fix the environment which it grows and not the flower. So I honestly believe, like, just like Sim said, it's going to be a pivot. I believe in bigger and better things. You know, you may be on full employment as of, you know, right now, but I don't think for long. And this is what the door needed to be knocked down for better things. And I think what makes your article so great, too, is that so many people related and resonated with it. Like, that's what went through them. That's why they went X, Y, and Z. And it also answers the question to people why there's not much retention, just like Sim said, like, in this industry, people have to, the industry is going to have to look at that issue hard in the face. So I applaud you. Thanks, guys. Um, but enough about me, because I just be here on this show talking a lot of <laughs> shit. Um, let's get into that hot topic. Yes, and we have a guest. I'm excited. Um, like we said, we have a licensed therapist, Farah Harris, on the line um, to talk about something called workplace wellness, how timely. Um, she specializes in people, in helping people to be well in the workplace. Um, Farah has a background in economics and pre-law from the University of Illinois, or Champaign-Urbana, and in marketing and management from the Illinois Institute of Art. So Farah, Hi. Hey, welcome. Hello. Oh, hi again, rather. <laughs> I know. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I mean, how um, on point for today's <laughs> conversation. I'm like listening like, okay, this is um, time. I'm like, maybe I need to start like prepping people before I tell them because I really feel that that's how I've been introducing myself. Hi, I'm Kai. I quit my job and I'm unemployed and super happy about it. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. You have some business cards. (laughs) Definitely. So I guess we can kind of jump into it. Like, first of all, thank you for joining us. Obviously, in my time of need and not and and a lack of access to a therapist, um, I've definitely been listening to um, I've definitely been listening to uh, oh, for therapy for Black girls. Podcast? Yeah, no, I yeah, tried black sleeping. I was like, <laughs> "What's happening?" The feds <laughs> are listening, y'all. The feds are listening. Um, but yeah, I've definitely been listening to your show, and I I found it 
to be very helpful in making my decision. Um, and also beginning or being at peace with my decision. Um, I think one of the things I listened to the other day was that self-care isn't always about taking a vacation or going to the spa. All of the things I do all the time anyway, but it's also about putting yourself first. Um, and, yeah. you know, sometimes you just need that validation. So I definitely appreciated that comment. Wow, that's huge. Thank you. So I want to really talk about workplace wellness, and I just want to define for the people what exactly is it and how <laughs> can we agree Like, that sounds like some good stuff. Um, I work at a wellness agency, and I can't really say that we have workplace wellness, so this will be interesting to hear, and how we can incorporate, incorporate um, workplace wellness in our lives. Yeah, I... I I use the term workplace wellness and that I'm a workplace wellness advocate only because it really is kind of like a buzzword right now. Um, but I don't know if organizations really understand what workplace wellness is. Uh, we often see it presented like the organizations and HR representatives are trying to create these perks or initiatives where, you know, there's like an on-site yoga class or um, there's a fitness challenge or it addresses like access to healthy food and beverages and just things that are related to like the physical thing, um, you know, the physical body. But it is usually how companies address workplace wellness in the sense of are you creating a mentally and emotionally healthy environment for your employees on a macro level? And this is including emotional intelligence training for leadership, uh, addressing how mental health looks like in the workplace, and consistently and intentionally trying to shift a culture. And on a micro level, and you kind of like hinted to that earlier, I forget which one of you were, were talking about, you know, personal responsibility, but yes, there is some personal responsibility in that too, in checking your own emotional intelligence boundaries and mental health and awareness. Because I am a huge advocate of creating safe spaces for yourself even when you're not in a safe space. So, if, you know, you got colleagues who like to gossip. You know, the tea may be sweet, but I would, you know, advise you not to engage. Um, you know, choose when you check your work email, how long you're going to check it. You know, be consistent with that so that you have a clear idea of, what is work time, and so that it doesn't spill into personal time. You know, take breaks, get up, go for a walk, go outside. Um, and if you have issues with somebody, communicate with them uh, directly and assertively, uh, leading with facts and not feelings. Um, and if you're in a position of leadership, you know, try to create a space that you actually would want to work in and that you would thrive in. And that's like when the golden rule comes into play. Like, treat others as you want to be treated. That is workplace wellness because on the real, folks aren't always looking for a big paycheck. You know, there are no longer true job security, pensions, you know, stuff that baby boomers kind of were familiar with. Employees want to work in an environment where they feel like they matter, that they feel seen, that they feel heard, and folks will actually stay at a place where they feel respected for lower pay if the culture speaks to a more work-life alignment mindset. Mm. So... Workplace wellness is, can be viewed in a lot of different ways, but from my perspective, true workplace wellness really addresses the heart and mind. I have a question, like, because we work in an industry where 
maybe our boss doesn't really care about our workplace wellness. So how right. how can we just be mindful, just setting those boundaries, setting those, like, this is when I answer emails, setting that kind of cadence so people kind of understand your work habits and things like that? Is that how we can get the message across to our managers and well, such? I, yeah. Um, you know, there is that saying, like, you know, people don't leave companies, they leave bad bosses. Um, I say that they kind of leave both, depending on what the culture is. So, you know, if you have leadership not espousing healthy mindset and, 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 you know, heart-mind wellness, then how is communication looking like? You know, mm-hmm. is there, did you go blindly thinking, yeah, this boss is going to be here for me and do that X, Y, and Z? Have an opportunity for that boss to sit down with you and say, well, this is the type of style that I have. You know, some people are more micromanaging. Some people are more laid off, uh, I mean laid back. Some people prefer to give a lot of criticism and they don't sandwich it well with compliments. Like take an opportunity to figure out their style and what their um, expected outcome will be so that you'll be able to kind of adjust and then realize if this is actually something you want to adjust to or not. Thanks. Um, I think <laughs> like, this is helpful. Um, we've been through a lot of like traumatic things in the office, and so... <laughs> yes, we have been. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I am how do so we sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's, I feel like that is sadly the norm of the ad industry. I was talking to someone the other day, and it's like, it's kind of a badge of honor. It used to be a badge of honor of like, mm-hmm. I've been through the storm kind of thing and I'm still here, but we didn't really take in part of how that tears to our emotion and mental health. And yeah. so I'm glad that those conversations are coming up because people have to think about the environments that they're creating. And mm-hmm. I really think it's like a millennial type of thing. I don't know. I don't know if everybody else agrees, but I think that that type of conversation is just recent. But I don't know. I've been I've been in the industry for like five well, years. Well, no, I think I, I it's think... it's rising. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. I just think it's rising because pe- more people are talking about mental health, especially right. amongst people of color. Um, mm-hmm. Because like when I started working in two thousand five, it was just like this is this is just the way things are. So um, <laughs> yeah. suck it up and and you know and keep it moving. But then I started meeting other people who were like, nah, bro, you, you actually need to go to therapy because whatever the hell is going on with you right now is a lot. Um, and so I, I think the just the cultural norm of more people seeking out mental health and working with professionals and taking those skills that they're learning with their mental health you know, care provider and bringing that mm-hmm. into their workplace is is what we're seeing because now it's like people are literally saying I'm setting boundaries and they're they're setting boundaries and being very explicit with their boss. When I was, when I started work, I didn't know anybody who did that. It was like, all right, cool. Either, either you quit or you just (laughs) grin and bear. But yeah, Mm -hmm. but now people are just like, nah, I'm not, I'm not doing this. And I used to kind of like be fearful for them because Watching, seeing people quit their jobs was very jarring. And then once I started, you know, seeking therapy and mental health, um, 
I realized like it was it was either sink or swim, and the only way that you could swim was to like use those those tools that you're giving in therapy and in real life, and sometimes it just mm-hmm. means quitting and walking away. Yeah, and I mean I think there is truth to the millennial aspect of it, and I've talked to my clients in this way that you know I would say the bulk of my clients are. Uh, uh, what you call it, black women who are in mid-level management or, you know, C-suite levels or in education. And they're a little bit older, but they're in the Gen X spot. And so as a Gen Xer myself, you're kind of stuck in between two completely different uh, groups. So we have the baby boomers where we watch mom and dad, you know, work at a job that they may not have liked, but shoot, they got a consistent paycheck, you know, this is to pay the bills, this is to get our kids through school. And, you know, like I said earlier, ideally it was to create job security so that you can retire and have a pension laid up for you so that, you know, you put in all those years, quote, unquote, to get the fruit at the end. And then we're looking at, you know, as a Gen X, we're looking at millennials coming in and going like, dude, I'm not satisfied. Like, this, this does not work. Like, there has to be something more than this. You know, I need to feel like not necessarily that when I go to work I'm uh, fulfilling my purpose, per se, but when I go to work I need to figure out that there's, there's some kind of value there. There's a value add. And so the thing is that companies are just now beginning to see the shift and figuring out how to address it. And each industry is going to be different. So you guys are in a creative industry that may take a little longer uh, to catch up, but um, at some point the culture is going to have to shift. So that's why I kind of look at HR representatives who are like, oh, Far, can you come in and speak to our group about this and this? And I said, okay, but what's your curriculum? Because me addressing this issue one time is not going to change the outcome. You know, it it may have people thinking, it may people have conversations, but if there's no follow-up, to addressing mental health in the workplace. If there's no follow-up on how uh, emotional intelligence and leadership affects, you know, your team dynamic, then you're just going to continue just, quote, unquote, checking off boxes, but the heart and the mind shift isn't going to change. So the culture will remain. Right, which I think that piece that you just spoke to is what has been acceptable in the workplace to date, right? So as long Mm -hmm. as you are checking off the boxes, you are getting recognized for being uh, a good place to work or a safe workplace. I think this new idea of setting boundaries is what's really rocking, at least, I I mean, obviously we can only speak for the creative space, but from what I've heard from friends in other uh, industries, the idea that you you get the opportunity to say no, that this is mm-hmm. a partnership and not necessarily um, trying to think of a really good word, but slavery is coming to mind, and I'm like, I feel like that's not the word. But it's not, it's not a dictatorship. It's not something that I have to do. You don't have to keep me, which we see because a lot of us don't get access to pensions and your 401K mm-hmm. is invested before, you know, three years. So <laughs> you're really just out there on your own and, and, on on your end, I don't have to work here because there are other companies that will hire me. Um, and I think a lot of that shift came from, you know, what we saw happen with the uh, recession in, what is that, 07, 08, 
we yeah. mm-hmm. if there is no if there is no loyalty and if this is not a guarantee that I will be here 25 years from now what are the other perks that I can give to myself or what are the other perks that I can find to working and when we can't mm-hmm. find those perks which a lot of times comes in the form of you know sanity sustenance sleep um he's <laughs> trying to find those things other places All right yeah, I mean, I think I think the perks are are definitely part of what's shaking shit up because people are are I think especially when you have platforms like ours and you know other organizations kind of speaking to it, speaking to what people should be asking for in interviews, people are looking for for work life balance. They're looking for they're looking to set those boundaries a lot earlier, and so I think that these a lot of agencies are have, are going to have to shift the way that they operate in order to retain talent. This is what we were talking about with, with the whole culture exactly. where it, it's not just you, – you can't just bring somebody in one time and expect something that's been systematic and been going on for years or, or decades within your agency to change overnight. Like it's it's a process. Like you're they're going to need to bring in someone who is, is going to be on the ground working yeah. with management, working with mid-level managers, working with leadership, working with employees to make sure that people are not being basically defeated in, in the workplace yeah. In, yeah. in the name think, of getting work out the door. Right. And I think the thing is so many companies, I, I say that, you know, I, I work with people and their identity development on an individual level, and then I work with the organizations on their identity because each organization has its own identity and culture. And if you are trying to have a short-term view, like, okay, we're going to bring this in, and it's going to be nice, we're going to keep it going because, quote, unquote, you're still profitable, then they don't necessarily see the need to invest in changing the culture. It's not until you start realizing how much turnover you're getting, how much money you're spending on healthcare costs that, you know, companies start going, oh, wait, maybe we need to do something differently. Um, and it's the same thing that happens with individuals. You know, people go like, oh, I can handle this, I can handle this, and you kind of wait till stage four kind of to reach out for a therapist. And it's not mm-hmm. going to be like one session, bam, you're healed, you're good, everything is copacetic. You have to go and unlearn so many things that have been part of your identity and realize that there is a healthier approach. It's like what, a what cycle of abuse, <laughs> to say. <laughs> it's like a cycle of abuse. It's crazy. Like, you know, you've, someone, your manager's probably like, I don't mean to say the word abuse, but they've mistreated you and then you just, you pass on that mistreatment when you become a manager just unknowingly because mm-hmm. it's it's the, the culture. The yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think cycle is is the best word for it, and it's not just on the management track or for the managers; it's also for the employees. Because how many people have you talked to who just been like, "Yeah, I, I'm just doing going day by day. Like, I'm I'm putting up and I'm dealing with, you know, the abuse in the workplace, and you know, we're kind of trained to grin and bear. Um, part of mm-hmm. it is probably from from my parents who we saw sacrifice to um, put food on the table and they had jobs that they probably didn't like. And so you pick up right. those, those, those traits. But then I think our generation, like we're just a little bit more 
transparent about how we're feeling because our parents, I don't think I ever heard my parents like really complain about their jobs to me, mm-hmm. but I knew that they hated, that they did not like their jobs. <laughs> um, yeah. And so that, that trait becomes, you know, or that, that, uh, that behavior becomes a part of our behavior. So when I, when I started speaking up about things that were happening at work and, and leaving or, you know, starting fires and not caring how how they how they burn. You know, my parents were looking at me like I was crazy. But for me, it was like for for me to be productive, not just for myself, but for my parents as they're getting older. I can't be here. Like you know what I mean? It was like if you're going to take all of my energy and all of my mental um, capacity to not necessarily do my job, but to put up with the bullshit that this job um, brings, then I can't be here. And that's where a lot of us are, like, drawing the line and setting boundaries. Um, Because, like, if we give you everything, what do we have left for ourselves? That's good. So how do we, I mean, how do we get to a point where we realize a work environment is too toxic, like before we're ready to jump and go somewhere else? Like how, how can we better predict like, okay, this environment right now is looking kind of crazy. I don't think this is right for me before it starts affecting our mental like sanity. Um, well, I think unfortunately <laughs> it, it, it's not until it starts impacting us that we realize something's not right. And the same thing that usually happens with people who are developing boundaries, you usually don't know a boundary's been crossed until it's been crossed. You know, so, you know, when you start getting annoyed, frustrated, angry, then it's like, oh, something, something's amiss here. So, you know, if you start increasing, getting increased anxiety, depressive thoughts, or anger, um, you know, or stress manifesting itself physiologically, like, ulcers, migraines, hair loss, you know, of course that's on the more extreme end. But when you just really just start disliking your job, um, that's probably a toxic work environment. And, of course, if there's like you are recognizing that there's bullying and harassment happening, uh, that's not the best place to be. However, I would like to add that an unhealthy work environment is not necessarily toxic because you can have an unhealthy work environment just due to it not being the right fit for you as an individual. Um, I recall being in my mid-20s working for a small retail consulting firm as a marketing coordinator, and though I had good bosses, I had great colleagues, I was not fulfilled, I was bored, (laughs) I had no career path uh, to motivate me, so I found reasons to be going into work late, you know, or to be out the office. We used to do these, like, retail tours that we would have, you know, companies like P&G or whomever check out these, um, quote, unquote, best in retail in their niches. So we'll take them to Target or to Trader Joe's for specialty stores. And I would hop on every single tour I could so that I wouldn't have to be in the office. So sometimes the satisfaction of your current workplace can affect your mood and overall mental health. So we have to be aware that it's not always a toxic environment that warrants a job or career change. You know, sometimes it's just that self-check of, am I happy here? I mean, that's, that's even that, that question of, am I happy here, is, it's, it's a big one and it's a loaded one, right? Um, yes, it because is. Because you, you, you have to start doing the work internally to even 
understand what happiness means for you as an individual. Um, and, I, and I've started having that conversation with a lot of friends who are at this crossroads in their careers where they're jumping from job to job or they're, they're expressing their that they're frustrated, but they really can't articulate why. And yeah. that defining what the happiness part of it is may mean that this industry is, is not for you, not because it's, it's toxic, but because you really don't want right to be here. Right. It's just, it's yeah. just not the right fit. Um, and so I feel like that's, that's a, a question that a lot of people have to do internally to actually, you know, grab hold of a sustainable answer. Um, mm-hmm. Because Otherwise, like you're just you're just going to keep ending up in these cycles where, you know, the same thing is going to keep happening over and over and over again, and you're not going going to be able to figure out why it's happening. Exactly, because that when when I got laid off, and I'm so excited. <laughs> I was like, yes, I get a check. Awesome, you know, they still give it's me my bonus. That is, people get really scared about being laid off. But I tell people all the time, man, it's I'm a blessing. It is a blessing that you need. It's just, just be, just thank God. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I had to keep the faith very neutral. When we had the conversation with trust, I went straight to the woman's bathroom and did a jig. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, thank you. I had no clue where I was going next, but I knew I couldn't be there. And that happiness question is subjective because technically when I was looking for a new job, this checked all the boxes for me. The, the salary was what I wanted. The size of the company is what I wanted. The location was what I wanted. But as I said, as I was doing the work, I was like, I'm not satisfied. There's something out here that's not um, interesting to me. I don't feel like I'm being challenged. You know, so, so those are the questions that you need to ask yourself on what makes you happy. And so... Thankfully, you know, and I, I believe that had to be probably the Holy Spirit of my husband because this was not the way he had a mindset back then. But when I was looking for other jobs, I was thinking about doing copywriting or going to advertising. And he's like, before you go get another job, like maybe you need to sit still a little bit because, you know, you don't want to have, like he said, a cycle where you find another job and then two years later you're unhappy again and we're right back to where we were. And so that... Um, unemployment, <laughs> which is like, let's just take moments to just relax, mm-hmm. sit back, see what, what, what um, tickles you a little bit, what tickles your ear, what tickles your interest, and that's how I made my way actually into mental health. Mm-hmm. I did not have a background in psychology, did not think that this would be anything that I would do, and the minute that I started my grad program, I was like, oh, I think this is where I've, where I've been meant to be for the longest time and just was not aware of it. So that stepping away from that job was a blessing to let me open doors into a whole new different industry that is a better fit for my personality. Oh, wow. That's I agree. Awesome. <laughs> getting getting can... fired was, was amazing. Well, getting laid off, because the difference is, according to NewYorkCity.gov, the difference between getting fired and getting laid off are the terms to which you decided to end your employment. So getting fired may not be as fun, because if you're fired because you're just out here being a fool, you don't get Mm -hmm. no money. 
if they yes. lay yes. you off right. respectfully, they will pay Amen. you away, and, and you will just sit there in your freedom and be great. Yes. 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 That, that, that is Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> because you, 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 want the, you want that unemployment check so that you can yes, have fun employment. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's true. It's true. That took a lot of authentic self-awareness. I think sometimes we are in situations where we're not being too real with ourselves. Like, oh, I don't like working with this team, but it's like, did you do – did you do all that you could to get to this point where it's like um, that this environment or this team is not for you? Like being honest with yourself, being honest about the industry, the work that you want to do and stuff. So how do we exercise like authentic, and I'm doing quote marks, um, (laughs) (laughs) self-awareness? That is a great question and really is the – um, like core of the work that I do with individuals. So to, to quote the great Lauren Hill in the Forgive Them Father, uh, everyday people lie to God too, so what makes you think they won't lie to you? And the thing is, we don't just lie to people, we lie to ourselves. And it can take some time to unpack the narrative that we've created for ourselves that sometimes has adopted more of an external narrative than the true, authentic, internal one. So practicing the pause or being mindful um, and practicing mindfulness is beneficial for our well-being because we can just ask ourselves simple questions like, was I being honest with John? Am I enjoying myself? How do I usually react in a similar situation? Have my reactions in the past been helpful or harmful? Um, and you want to do it so that you don't become too self-critical, but you don't want to be, um, you don't want to just leave it at, at self-criticism. You want to be able to be analytical so that you can address who you are in a logical and rational way versus being judgmental. You want to uh, take an objective view of yourself. It's like, you know, a little dance. You kind of step outside of yourself watch what you do and say, and then step back into yourself and be aware of the thoughts and feelings you're having at the moment and seeing if there's congruence there. Because the worst thing to do is be inauthentic to yourself because not only are you not free to be who you are, you are now jeopardizing authentic, real, beneficial relationships because most likely you're not being honest with other people. And I see it all the time in counseling sessions where I'm working with partners, but one partner thinks everything's copacetic, and was like, oh, yeah, didn't you have a good time? You said you had a good time. And then I'm looking at the other partner, and heads down, (laughs) they didn't have a good time. And it's like, well, why did you lie? You know, and sometimes we have to be careful that when we bring our inauthentic self out, is it because we have an unmet expectation of ourselves? Mm. And usually expectations lead to disappointments because they're just full of shoulds, coulds, and woulds. So it is really just slowing down and being able to recognize just what are you doing and what are you thinking and what are you feeling in the moment. That's 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 a um, – don't you feel like that's a learned behavior where you can actually get oh, to the point yeah. of, like, reflection <laughs> – in in the moment because 
outside of this conversation, we live in a society where we're constantly consuming things that are, let's say, just distractions, right? So if you're Netflixing and chilling, or you're binging something on Hulu, you're you know you're you're doing these mindless um, things that don't necessarily allow you to reflect. So how do you even get mm. to that that point of being so self-aware that you need to then debrief yourself about what it is that you're going through, even if what you're going through is is good, because <clears throat> that was something that that was that I just it took me the longest time over the last year to even figure out how to reflect in a way that was productive, because like last year when I was going through so much shit at work. Um, and I remember Kai asked me, like, well, you know, what's your goal? Like, you're you're raising awareness about these issues, but what is your actual goal? And me really not being able to answer it because it was just kind of like moving in the moment but not reflecting. So, like, what are those? And, and I wish I had, like, a way that <laughs> to articulate how I even got to that point where I'm, where I'm now reflecting, but it just, it just kind of happened through therapy and shit. So, um, what what are you're some probably, of those things? Yeah, you're no, probably yeah. practicing the pause, which is what I try to get people to do. Like practice. Like there's so many things that we do, like you said, mindlessly. And right. of course, you know, mindfulness is another, you know, um, you know, popular term now. But it's just pretty much it's just slowing yourself down and be present. So even if you're Netflixing and chilling and quote unquote watching the boob tube. Stop and go, like, what am I watching right now? Why is this entertaining to me? Am I avoiding doing something else, you know, or is this my moment of chilling? Like, I know that we, uh, my family went out of town to see my folks uh, in Florida. We came back, and I realized, you know, I'm so tired, and I like watching Marvel movies. They make me feel good. I'm about to go and watch um, (laughs) uh, Thor Ragnarok and Doctor Strange. And not do any client notes. I'm not going to answer any calls. Like this is what I'm going to do because I recognize I needed a moment to quote unquote just be. But then at the same time, you know, if you're doing hours upon hours upon hours, it's like, okay, what is really going on now? Because it could be a sign of depression. You know, it could be a sign of avoidance. So Mm -hmm. it is those moments where it's like. I need to practice the pause and do a self-check-in. And the thing is, that is, like you said, a learned behavior because so many of us may grow up in a household where your voice did not matter, so you learn to ignore your own voice. So if something bothers you, you've learned to just not say anything because you've always had a negative reaction by mom or by dad or by whoever the caregiver is. So now you're an adult and your boss says something or does something, and something's triggering you, but you don't know what it is, and you say nothing because it's like, well, does it even matter? No one listens to me anyway, so why should I listen to myself? I think it's really interesting that you say that because, like, Sam, as I'm listening to you ask the question, in my mind, and luckily I was on mute so I couldn't get it out anyway, in my mind I'm like, that's not, for me at least, it's not reflection. So, like, the one quote that I've always um, shout out to Howard University. I try to throw that in there whenever I can within the world. Happy homecoming. But the one quote <laughs> that I've always stuck to is from Zora Neale Hurston. And 
where she says, like, if you're silent about your pain, they'll kill you and say you enjoyed it. So mm-hmm. for me, for me personally, it's always been very easy to say in the moment, I don't like this, I don't want this, this hurts, this isn't what I want to do. And for me, that's not reflection, that's instinct to acknowledge pain or discomfort. But I never, I never considered that that's not necessarily a, that's not necessarily like a, a first thought for everyone else to do. It's not. Um, because for me, the, the long-term reflection becomes, well, what do I do if other people don't do for me? Whereas the longer-term reflection for others may be, well, actually, how did I feel about that moment mm-hmm. way back when? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so that, that whole authentic mm-hmm. self-awareness is literally being aware with, what you truly are feeling and thinking in the moment. Hmm. So, so is there? What's the difference between the the instinct and the self awareness and the reflection? Because now, now that Kai was talking, and I'm thinking about what <laughs> I was doing when I was basically escalating what I was going through. I was just going off of instinct that if I don't say something that it's going to get worse. If I don't say something, then I'm going to have to suffer more. If I don't say something, then, you know, us being on the show, being advocates for diversity and inclusion, then somebody else who's going to come behind me who's of color, who is part of a marginalized group, is going to have to deal with the same thing. Between instinct, because I Mm -hmm. think instinct makes us act, and then the reflection, I don't, I don't know. Now that you talk, I, I don't know how the reflection like works into that equation because I think a lot of us are working off an instinct, and that instinct is what we're we're trained on. It's the instinct that we're trained on to do our jobs better. But then also, if you are paying attention to um, diversity and inclusion panels or talks or discussions, you know, a lot of it's it's talking about instinct, but no one really talks about the reflection piece and then what you mm-hmm. do with the actual reflection. Um, and I think that's where a lot of us are getting caught up is that we're acting and we know that we're acting in in our best interest because these are proven tactics that other people have have told us work when it comes to advocating for yourself. Um, so how do you how do you utilize that reflection piece so that people understand the value in pausing and understanding what it is that you've gone through and how it can benefit the short-term and your long-term goals? Okay, so that's a little loaded. Um, Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I've been in therapy, so, like, my therapist is, like, constantly, like, badgering me and not, I don't seem want to say badgering, but you know this this idea of like if you're if you're gonna be here, then you need to like be here. And at one point yeah. he was like, well, if if you don't have the answer to this, then maybe we're done. And like internally, I knew that we weren't done because I'm like, well, I still have to like figure out what to do with with this reflection mm-hmm. thing that we're we're going through. So I think for for people who are listening. 
um, who may be going through it, who may be who may have a therapist, who may not have a therapist. Um, I think this could whatever your answer is could be beneficial for them to understand the value in reflection or the value mm-hmm. in you know seeking professional help. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a load of questions. It's a good question. And the reason why I say it's loaded is because I'm trying to figure out how to, to un- unload the answer. Um, <laughs> and that, because they, they all work in tandem. You know, that instinct, the reflection, the action, everything really works in tandem. Nothing's really isolated in what we do. So um, I love neuroscience. I'm, you know, trained um, to be, training to be a neuroscience coach. So how the brain is operating when we're in any situation is so key to our behavior and our action. So when we think about instinct, usually that's going to be our emotional and our primitive brains, which is our survival brain. So how do we respond, fight, flight, or freeze? And, you know, what's going on with us emotionally? So anxiety, depression, happiness, joy, anger, whatever. And then... The reflection part really comes towards the prefrontal cortex, which is the front of the brain, and that's where logical thinking, reasoning, um, uh, you know, basic logic, you know, comes from. And we need all of those parts of our brains to help us be better in addressing things um, in a healthier way because we don't want things to be done always from our emotional brain. Because those are the people who are just like go to zero to 16 in a second or they're always having a knee-jerk reaction. They don't take time to reflect. They don't practice the pause. They respond to that email before thoroughly reading it and, you know, CCing 25 other people and you were like, uh, you kind of messed up there. I think you overreacted. Um, and then you don't want to be too rational um, because then that doesn't allow you to be empathetic towards others or compassionate to yourself. So it is the work of recognizing instinctually, I feel like I need to do something, and then to practice the pause and reflect, why is it that I feel I need to do something? So those questions you ask, like if I don't do something, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, that's reflection. Because you're able to pause and recognize what is the consequence of me being inactive? What is the consequence of this continuing to perpetuate, how will that affect my mood? How will that affect my health? How will that affect my finances? And being able to have all of those things work together um, allows us to be able to recognize what, you know, I guess at the top of the question, you know, that authentic self-awareness. What is happening in the moment? And then being able to pause and go, and what could potentially happen if I don't respond or if I don't react uh, in a way that is in my best interest. Mm. Yeah, I hope everybody took that. You can't reflect and not have instinct, and you can't have instinct and um, not reflect. Like, they have to work together so that you actually have some kind of beneficial outcome. I think this is like a learning exercise for me because this year – I would say I've been more vocal about when things do bother me. Um, mm. 
mainly because of the situations that I've been in before that. So it's kind of like a trial and error where it was like, I didn't like the outcome of that situation. So maybe next time try something differently. And I was one Hmm. of those people who was silent. And like for now in my later twenties, I am trying to kind of find my voice and and see what I really like. And it it beats me up a little bit because like, I really feel like I should have, known that I wish I knew that in my earlier 20s and my later 20s but it's growth anyway but that's been an exercise for me of you know this didn't work last time I'm going to try something new this time yeah and we all have to offer ourselves grace because we all have a narrative that starts from like utero so there's things that you know, who you are today did not just happen today. It's, it's your collective, you're a sum of your parts, and that's what, ex- you know, ends up showing up at work as well. So, you know, your boss is the way that he or she is because of whatever her narrative or whatever his narrative is. And even in the way we respond is based by our story. So that is another part of the reflection process because people who struggle with self-awareness there is a reason. You know, the people who struggle with having high emotional intelligence, there is a reason. Um, so if they came from a very abusive household or, you know, they had addiction in their household, there's research that has proven that they're unable to read neutral emotion because mm-hmm. they're always looking for something intense. They're always looking for the anger. So it's hard for them to read people. And if you're at a company you're not, and you're not working with robots, it's going to be um, more challenging for you to kind of become more self-aware at the fact that you have a little bit of a learning curve in reading other people's emotions based off of your own personal narrative. Mm. So, and then your brain is not fully developed, or at least the logical part of your brain is not fully developed until you're in your mid-20s. So that's another reason why we need to give ourselves grace because just most of our first quarter of our lives, we're responding based off of instinct and emotion and not logical thinking. I have one, like, we have one last question because it's about instinct and reflection Mm -hmm. all wrapped up in one. So a lot of our instincts is when we are in the workplace and someone disrespects us or they're rude to us or whatever, and we have the instinct to, like, yell at them and whatever, that's not really office friendly. (laughs) So like, how do we manage our emotions where we do check someone, but it's done in a way where we've kind of gone through, did our 10 seconds countdown to calm us down and we can address (laughs) the issue at hand and, you know, gain respect in the office. What are your thoughts about that? I think that And maybe other people may disagree with me, but respect or disrespect is subjective. And, or what constitutes as respect and disrespect can be considered subjective. Um, Because what somebody says to me that I may think is disrespectful to them, they're like, I don't see any problem with it. So what we have to do, again, you know, and I, I love talking about emotional intelligence, you know, so the basis of emotional intelligence is what I call the three A's. A, number one, awareness, being able to identify the emotion. So what did this person do to make you angry, sad, frustrated, whatever, anxious? 
And then you assess it. Why do you feel this way? What was the trigger? And then the third A is put into action. How do you properly address it? And sometimes something will happen and we will immediately react because we're triggered but don't fully address the issue within ourselves. So I'm going to just give a quote-unquote mild disrespect. So you say hi to John when you walk in. John doesn't say hi back. So now you're upset but you haven't taken the time to think about the variables that could be present. Did John have headphones in his ears? Did John just find out that his mother died? Did John just, you know, get into a car accident? Like there's all these other things that sometimes we have to pause and reflect and go, is this really something that's being disrespectful or are there other variables here? And, you know, and and we have to be careful too on – are, is this person being disrespectful or betraying us, or do we have weak boundaries with unsafe people? And we, we kind of put ourselves in a position to be hurt, uh, and in that case, that person doesn't really owe us an apology, but we just have to make sure that we're showing up our boundaries. Um, because if it is disrespect by communicate, uh, you know, or, or microaggressions or whatever, I would suggest to not be passive-aggressive, but address them directly. And first, ask before, you know, going ham on them. Is ask for clarity, because sometimes something that we perceive as disrespectful could just be a misunderstanding. So, you know, ask them to explain their action or behavior first, because that, sometimes that conversation of clarity can help you better process and reposition yourself in how to respond. Hmm. Well, I just want to say thank you, Farah, for meeting with us. I think we got our free hour session with you. (laughs) So anything (laughs) after that would be a charge and proof of insurance. But (laughs) I just want to say thank you for speaking with us and being on the show. Um, Any last comments, any questions, you guys, before we officially wrap up? No. um, Yeah, I I feel like that triple A was like really on point. <laughs> that, that, that's, I, and I hope that people kind of take that that um, that tool and and put it into action, especially around the idea of diversity and inclusion, because it will help navigate going through this industry that um, has a tendency to not be diverse or, or inclusive. Um, but how can people get in contact with you? Sure. Um, so I can be found on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Farah Harris LCPC as my handle. So F A R A H H A R R I S L C P C. You can email me at info at farahharrislcpc.com. And um, yeah. Those are pretty much so you can catch me on those uh, three social media platforms or email me directly. And and your office is located in what city? I am in the south suburbs of Chicago in a suburb called Flossmore. And um, so it's just about maybe 35, 40 minutes south of downtown. And I do have a private practice, and I do work with individuals. I do not see couples. Mm. Got it. (laughs) <laughs> you write it down. Well, we will also be, um, I don't know if we have announced this yet, but we also will be for, there for 3%, which is in Chicago. So hopefully we'll connect out there or, you know, 
we'll see some posts online as well. But as always, okay. as always, you can catch Mixed Company on SoundCloud, uh, the podcast app, and Spotify, as well as our channels. You can catch our um, – we just posted some new episodes, some bonus episodes from our event, so check those out as well. And we'll catch you all later. Yep, later, guys. <laughs>